Amen. Praise the Lord. Just as they play that uh, last Wednesday night, we spoke on token families in times of crisis. I'm not speaking on that tonight. I'd just like to read one quote of Brother Branham. In 1965, he said, These great pulsations of faith come right in the time of crisis. It's usually crisis that drives us into this. He talks about Job and his crisis. It was a crisis that he pressed himself. There's where the inspiration struck him. Tonight we're here to press into the kingdom. Hallelujah. And as you press in, God will release the inspiration. As we bow our heads together, I wonder who would say, Lord Jesus, speak to me tonight, Father. We open up our hearts, Lord Jesus. On this Wednesday night, feeling already the pulsation of your heart for us. We love you, Lord Jesus. Your word is always on time. Every time. All the time, your word comes to us. Lord, we throw open the doors of our hearts tonight. Throughout this week, Lord, we've seen how nature is groaning. Groaning for sons and daughters of God to come to their place. Tonight we are responding. We groan also. First fruits of the Spirit come on a people, groaning for that other dimension where there will be no storms, no snow, no anguish, tornadoes, and fires. All will be peace forevermore. Lord, may the Holy Spirit just breathe into the family tonight. Strengthen us, Jesus. We're here for one thing, and that is to feed from your word, to draw strength and inspiration by the Holy Spirit. It might be an unexpected evening like tonight when you want to do something marvelous to somebody. Just take them into your hand right now as we create an atmosphere. Heavenly Father, we're one day closer to that new body, to the change. May you minister personal tonight in these times of crisis that we're in let our hearts draw closer to you in Jesus Christ's name amen amen, amen. God bless you let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 4 we'll turn to the Old Testament first and then we'll turn to John in the New Testament I hear the words of Jesus in, in John 17 uh, first, we'll read in 1 Samuel chapter 4. Nice to see so many out on a Wednesday night like this. <clears throat> you seem to be a little quiet tonight, so it's nice to see you on a Wednesday night. Amen. <laughs> Glad that you're safe. We want you to be safe going home, too, as the temperature's dropping. We want you to be safe as we go home. So we'll uh, read the scripture together. 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 17, is a time when the glory of the Lord has, was departing from Israel. And uh, we, we find that the children of Israel were in a battle with the Philistines, and the word had gotten back that the ark had been taken. And we find 1 Samuel 4, verse 17, a messenger is coming back to, uh, to Eli. And, and the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there hath been also a great slaughter among the people. And thy two sons also, Hophni 
and Phineas are dead, and the ark of God is taken. And it came to pass when he made mention of the ark of God, speaking of Eli, that he fell from off the seat backward by the side of the gate, and his neck brake, and he died, for he was an old man and heavy. He had judged Israel 40 years. And his daughter-in-law, Phineas's wife, was with child, near to be delivered. And when she heard the tidings that the ark of God was taken, and that her father-in-law and her husband was dead, she bowed herself and travailed, for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the women that stood by her said unto her, Fear not, for thou hast borne a son. But she answered not, neither did she regard it. And she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory is departed from Israel. Because, I want you to watch this, the ark of God was taken. The ark is a type of the word. The glory is departed from Israel because the ark of God was taken. And because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, the glory is departed from Israel, for the ark of God is taken. We're going to come back to this and speak about Hannah and the deep desire she had. Tonight we want to speak on the return of the glory. The return of the glory. This is a sad picture because the glory of God was leaving the children of Israel. But God had already prepared a way for the glory to come back. Let's turn to John 17 together in the New Testament. Jesus spoke of this glory as he was uh, praying to the Father in John 17. We're just going to take three verses here uh, in John 17 as he was praying in verse 5. John 17 verse 5. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Verse 22. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them. He's praying about you. That they may be one, even as we are one. This is a wonderful verse. Let's read it again. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them that they may be one even as we are one. That's incredible. That's a return of the glory. Verse 24. If you just move down uh, to verse 24. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. And I want to say God loved you before the foundation of the world. God bless you. You can have your seats. I understand that the responsibility of the snow on the Canadian side is Sister Michaela Ray. Amen. I think she's here tonight. Brother Michael was telling us she was praying Sunday afternoon over lunch that the Lord would send the snow. Send the snow. A lot of snow. And within just a few minutes, it came down. Do you remember on Sunday? But I think the snow on the U.S. side, uh, um, the responsibility goes to Jessica Andes. She prays for snow. She prays for snow. And the Lord sends snow. So whoever was praying for the snow, it came. 
and, and may it leave also. I mean, it, it's nice to have it for a little while, but it's, uh, it's nice to be safe. And glad to know that uh, you arrived home safe Sunday and we're here tonight to worship the Lord together. We want to remember Brother Tim Dodd that's in India on the mission field. And we're on the local mission field. He's in a foreign mission field. And one day when we're all done, he'll say, well done, thou good and faithful servants. We want to be faithful. Let's speak tonight on the return of the glory. And we're going to go back to 1 Samuel in just a little bit. Just keep your Bible open a little bit. And we're going to turn to some other scriptures. I believe the glory of God has returned back. Who believes that with all your heart? Jesus prayed that the glory which he had been given of the Father, that he would give to the believers, give to you and I. And when we talk about glory, the return of the glory, we're speaking about a person of honor and abundance. God has given us riches and spiritual benefits tonight. But it's a lady of honor that God has called you to be the bride of Christ. And his wife is making herself ready with dignity. The dignity has been restored back. We're not part of the feminist movement, as we heard Sunday, that's trying to think they can be so independent. They don't need nobody. We need the Lord Jesus. The glory of the woman is the, the glory of the man is the woman. So we see the glory of God. We talk about the glory of God, but the beauty that's in the bride is the character. The beauty of the church is the character of the people. So when we speak about the return of the glory, we're speaking about his reputation that he only chooses the best. So he didn't make a mistake in calling you. So he's bringing his word to put on the wedding garment, to put on the garment so it fits just right. That's why we're lingering even tonight in a Wednesday night service, because the return of the glory speaks of the reverence and the splendor of God toward the bride of Christ. When I was thinking about that word splendor, when we sing the song, the splendor of a king robed in majesty. And now he prayed that the glory that he had with the Father that you and I would have. I would say the splendor has returned. When, when we think about a person losing their glory, let's jump right into the thought tonight. A person losing their honor, losing their dignity. It's just what Satan has done to the church and to people today around the world, he has stripped them of their glory. They are literally naked before God. They're naked before the world, but they're deceived. But God has returned the glory to you and I. That's an amazing thing. So many believers and spiritual uh, saints down through the ages, they've desired to see the glory of God. I want to see the glory of God. Moses desired to see the glory of God, and God just showed him the back parts of a man, which Brother Branham said was Melchizedek, and it was that form that was walking. It's the glory of God, but Satan has come into this generation and designed this modern age with deceit, and his worldly spirit has gone even to the high places of churches and religious orders. To think that they're clothed upon. To think that they're ready for heaven. Can you imagine people today that live a worldly life and think that when they leave here they're going to heaven? 
And then God preparing a bride to get ready and adorned, to get ready to go. And he has a standard for you and, and he has a garment to put on. There's only one garment and that's the word of God. But we see now in this day that Satan's job and ministry is to throw havoc into the kingdom of God. It's to ruin, try to ruin you and damage God's kingdom by defacing God's people. Stripping us of purity and wholesomeness and getting us numb to the things of God. But God returned back himself. It's, it's like he said, I'll come down myself. I'm going to be with my people myself. Amen. I'm thankful for that. The bride has a promise of I will restore. That no matter how far that Satan would seek to destroy us, God is going to restore us back. We are living under an anointing that's uh, been restored back to us of a, of a bride's ministry. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 as we look in, at a couple things in the scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 7 and 15, just a couple verses is 1 Corinthians 11. Paul was speaking about this glory. And I'm not speaking about a hair tonight. I'm not speaking about dress so much. But just to take his thought in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 7. Paul said, for a man indeed ought not to cover his head. He wasn't talking about a hat, but he's talking about a man shouldn't have long hair. For as much as he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of God of the man. I want you to think spiritual right away that the bride of Christ is the glory of our husband. So he doesn't want us just dressed shabbily and just kind of going through life, catching the trends and getting culture to wherever we live. The bride of Christ is the glory of our husband. Verse 15, Paul is speaking about the hair of a man and the hair of a, of a woman. But he said in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 15, but if a man, if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her for her hair is given her for a covering. So God thinks it's glorious. You might look upon it as trouble or as just something you have to take care of. And God said, it's your glory. I think that's wonderful. If a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. Now, isn't it amazing that in our generation, Satan wants to shear off the woman's hair and make her butch and make her like a, a manly spirit. It's our day that he would seek to do that, to take off her glory and shear off her glory. And Paul was saying, it's glorious to have long hair. Now, the world would say you're, out, you're, you're, you're definitely out, you're out of tune, you're out of touch, you're, you're old-fashioned. But Paul is saying, it's your glory. Brother Branham taught, it's your glory. And the bride still believes a long hair for a woman is our glory. I'm not speaking about that tonight, but I'm speaking about the glory of God in the person. How it brings honor to you. A, a woman's life is a life of dignity. Just to view her, just to look at a godly lady that's reflecting the spirit of Christ 
In the New Testament, when you see this word glory, the woman is the glory of the man. It's always a good opinion of one. God has a good opinion of the bride of Christ. And I'll say this, those that are spiritual in God's kingdom think those that are spiritual have a good opinion about them. They encourage one another in the godly faith. So when we speak about the return of the glory, it's that God has brought honor back to the lady. He's brought her glory back to her. He's brought the splendor of his majesty to the lady, to the bride, to shine out a message in the brightness and magnificence of your life. God thinks you're excellent. Hallelujah. He's made you the preeminent theme of his whole purpose was to bring forth a bride. That was what was on his mind. That was what was in his heart, that they would have my glory, that God's people would have the glory. So he chose to come in a body of, of the bride of Christ. I just think that's lovely. Living her life in graces, in dignity. That's the return of the glory. Now we're going to go a little bit deeper right now. When we speak about the return of the glory, you think of a person, the glory has to do with the atmosphere that's around them. It has to do with what they're exuding out. Each one of you tonight, the atmosphere around you is your glory. And it speaks of your character. The glory of a person is your character. As Brother Branham said, the beauty of the church is the character of the people. So it's not what we're trying to just put on the outside, but it's an inward beauty that comes out in our dress wear. What's on the outside will be reflecting what's on the inside. Oh, don't you want the glory of God to shine out? So in our day when the atmosphere has been broken... When Satan has achieved his goal of marring the masterpiece and trying to bring smut upon the image, God restores back his splendor, restores back the character, restores back the glory of a person. And when we speak about your glory, we talk about a different person in our assembly. We just mentioned their name. Immediately something comes to your heart. That's their glory. That's who they are. That's what they stand for. When, when you just say a person's name, that's who they are. When we say it's all for the glory of God, it is for the glory of God. But when we speak of the glory of God, that is who he is. That's who he stands for and what he stands for. Now I want to go back to a, th a thought we already shared with you. For a person to lose their glory is a sad thing. For a person that used to be in a place and then lose that place is a very sad thing. But for that glory to be returned back to them is an amazing thing. For them to have something and then lose it and to be lost from it or not know where it's at and then God to just reveal it back to them, that is an amazing thing. That's what I'm speaking on tonight. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Now remember our opening quote out of, I have heard, but now I see. These great pulsations of faith come right in the time of crisis. Right in the time of crisis, when Satan's trying to drive you to a defeat, the Holy Spirit is there to bring a pulsation of inspiration to bring you out of that. 
So as you hear a ministry that God has given you as his dress wear, it's good for us to hang a hold of that inspiration because it's there to bring you out of that time of crisis. Ephesians 5 verse 25 and 26 and 27. Paul said, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church. There's our word glory, God sanctifying us, washing us to present something, to present something to himself, a glorious church. Comma, not having a spot or a wrinkle, or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. I want to say that thus saith the Lord, God's going to have a bride without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing. It's God's mission. It was what was in his heart. That's what the word, that's what this church is all about. That's what I trust we were believers for. That God is returning us back to that glory. God presenting himself a glorious church. I pray God would help someone tonight to think that you're just not some miry down in the mud type of person. But God would bring out from you a glory that he thinks you're glorious. Amen. I was thinking of this today. That people like you and like me, born in sin... We were born in the muck, shaped in iniquity, come to the world speaking lies. Is that all of us now? We were all in the muck of the world. People like you and me could have our glory restored and come back to bride status, come back to restored virtuous bride status. Is that incredible? Satan's trying to dirty you and mock you and say you're no good. And God's saying, no, you're the apple of my eye. I sent my word to wash you. Is there power in the word? Yes, there is. It washes us. It cleanses us. It justifies us. It sanctifies us. Lord, put oil in us tonight. Fill us with the Holy Ghost. And mature us, Father, as we're here to come into your glory. Don't you think that's amazing that people like you and me that were born in sin could come back and be restored to a life of glory? I think it's incredible. I heard Brother Branham today talk about the mother that was in the store with her little child. And she was trying to uh, make noises and wave something in front of the child. Brother Branham said things that should have got its attention. Things that should have got of it, its attention and it had no response. And it would have, she would wave a little toy and do something in front and it, its eyes weren't moving where the object was. And she screamed out, it's blind, it's blind, it has no sight. And that's when Brother Branham said, the things that should have got its attention, it had no response. And I pray God, the things that should be the bride's attention that the Lord would open our eyes to that. It's not going to change the word, but God opened your eyes to the word. It's been there all the time. 
It's been there before you all the time. God just opened your eyes. I was thinking of that this evening. I thought it was such a powerful demonstration. God, don't let us be blind to what you're doing. Let's go back to 1 Samuel together. Let's look in the scripture in 1 Samuel and speak about Hannah just for a little bit. If you have a Bible, it would be good to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1. I know this is familiar, but we're speaking about the return of the glory. 1 Samuel chapter 1. Hannah's heart was burning. Hannah had a burden to see a greater glory in her own personal life. She had had a certain measure. She, had, she was married. She was in the church. She was a good believer. But she had a burden to see more of the glory of God in her personal life. And it drove her to do things and act in a way that people thought she wasn't normal. But Hannah was burdened to see a greater glory even in her family. But I wanted to bring your attention to this desire and burden that was on Hannah. By the end of the story, it turned into a national revival in Israel. As we know that God deals with Israel as a nation. But by the time the story ends, it's more than a story. But it starts out with the groaning of a believer. I've got to see more of the glory of God. And by the end of it, it spawned out a prophet. It spawned out a messenger. And the glory of God that was departing was restored. But it all had its roots in a desire. It all had its roots in a burden. I want to see the glory of God return. And I think that's wonderful for us as believers to know that it starts with a burden. It starts with this kind of a thirst. First Samuel chapter 1, you can see now in verse 1 and 2 how a brother, Elkanah, he had two wives. Verse 2, and the name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penea. Penea had children, but Hannah had no children. And it goes on to speak about how they went yearly to worship the Lord, and the two sons of Eli was there, Hophni and Phinehas, the priest of the Lord. Verse 5, the Bible spokes about Hannah and how the husband gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. And even in verse 6, it speaks about this, how that the Lord had shut up her womb. And maybe the crisis of your life is for God to show his glory. Now I'm moving now into a burden. I want you to get into this channel with me. God had shut the womb. God had allowed his glory. It was like a valve had been shut off. You say, that's bad. That's horrible what I'm suffering or what I'm going through. But we're going to find out it's all for the glory of God. God had allowed her womb to be closed, but he put in her a desire to have seed. Isn't that incredible? The very thing that seems opposite in your situation, God was already working. And we find out it was year by year and things. And we see in verse 8, I'm just going to skip down here, that there was weeping going on and things. And 
just keep moving on through this. Verse 10. She was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou would indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. And it goes on to speak about this. In verse 12, we see that she's praying this in the house of God. And as she continued to pray, the Eli, the high priest, marked her mouth. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she had been drunken. And Eli said unto her, how long without be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. I want to stop right here and say something. God's people are usually misunderstood. But where it really cut to the heart was, is Hannah was under a burden. She, it was a soul travail. And even the high priest misunderstood. Even the ministry didn't know why. And they thought she was just drunk. Her mouth was moving, but nothing came out of her mouth. So it is some of you have prayed and been under travail. I want to say God knows all about it. He knows the secrets of our heart. And it's all with an intent for the glory of God to come back upon your life. I wanted to bring that out in verse 13 and 14. How there's misunderstanding is usually in the house of God. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit, and I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. And he goes on to speak, and she speaks back and forth with Eli a little bit. Verse 19, And they rose up in the morning early and worshipped before the Lord, and returned and came to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife. And the Lord remembered her. Hallelujah. The Lord remembered her burden. The Lord saw her heart. The Lord knew the inside. Even though what was being manifested on the outside, someone might say, you're drunken or you're out of order or you're out of your place. But little did they know God was moving. I'm sure Elkanah knew his wife many times before that. They had tried in themselves to bring the glory, but now was the time. It was like God was turning on the tap again, slowly but surely, and was saying, I am remembering you. Some of you might need to bow your head and say, Lord, remember us tonight. Remember me in my time of crisis and speak to me, Lord. We see this in verse 20 and things and how she brought forth Samuel. Because I have asked him of the Lord. And it goes on to speak in chapter 1. How she brought forth Samuel and gave him back to the Lord. And the child was young. It says in verse 24, but she gave him back to the Lord. Verse 2, we find now, coming on to the scene, verse 12. Chapter 2, verse 12, the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. So now you have ministry that didn't know the Lord. It reminds me of in the book of Judges after Joshua and Caleb died and the men that, that were with them passed away. The Bible says there rose up another generation that didn't know the Lord. 
So you can even have ministers or people like in future home. When Brother Branham talked about the high priest, they knew it after an intellectual conception. And I pray God take us further than that. Take us to a real heartfelt religion. And a real experience with God where a burning bush experience had all that Moses lacked. All that he lacked was in that experience. What are you doing tonight? We're waiting. We're waiting. The bride is waiting until we all come to that place. So here we have it in verse 12 that the sons of of Eli, they knew not the Lord. And you can look down in verse 13. Down through verse 17, as these men were operating within the church. But verse 17 says, The sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for, the, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. That's incredible. They didn't want to come and worship. They didn't want to come to give. It's an amazing thing how people can influence one another for the good. And for the bad. Let me say this tonight, friends. No matter what happens in the church, you stay close to God. Because right in the time when ministers that should have known better, there was a Samuel that was growing up. There was a glory of God that was being nurtured right in the same place. And we find this happening in verse 18, Samuel ministering before the Lord, even though he was a child. And you can look down through the next few verses, but I just want to look at verse 22 a little bit. Chapter 2, verse 22, Eli was very old and heard all that his sons did unto all Israel, how they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. This is horrible sins. Not only were they trying to get the best of the flesh for themselves and becoming fat like that, they were actually laying with the women in the church. Can you imagine what that would do to their fathers or to their husbands? It began to create an atmosphere to abhor the house of God. Now we're getting into some parenting now. As Eli knew all the time what was happening, but he abstained from speaking to his sons in a way that would stop their actions. In other words, they just kept right on going for many, many years. You can look here in the scripture. It's over 20 years. This this went on in the church. He restrained them not. That means though he spoke to them, they didn't change. God help us. Verse 23, we find he said unto them, Why do ye such things? For I hear of your evil doings, dealings by all this people. Nay, my sons, for it is no good report that I hear. You make the people's, the Lord's people to transgress. If one man sin against another, the Lord, sorry, the judge shall judge him. But if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? Notwithstanding, they hearken not unto the voice of their father. Because the Lord would slay them. And the child Samuel grew on. Are you noticing this? It'll give a negative and then it'll speak about Samuel. The child Samuel grew on and was in favor both with the Lord and also with men. You can read on down through here how in verse 27, there came a man of the Lord unto Eli and began to speak to him. And began to speak to him about the sins of his family. In verse 29, we see one of the greatest things was, is that he was honoring thy sons above me. That was the word of the Lord. 
He was putting his children's emotion and his children's uh, uh, above the word of God. We see that was one of the greatest things that the Lord mentioned here along with others is that thou honorest thy son above me and make yourselves fat with the chiefest of all the offerings. And it goes on to speak down through chapter 2. Let's look in chapter 3 here now as we move along. And on a Wednesday night, I hate to read so much. But the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. And it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place that his eyes began to wax dim and he could not see. And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord. Verse 3 is more serious than we think. The lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was and Samuel was laid down to rest. We don't have time to go back to it, but if you want to write it down or remember this, Exodus 27, verse 20 and 21, the Bible explicitly says to keep the lamp of God continually from one generation to the next. Keep the oil there. And the ministry was there to keep the oil, which is the Holy Ghost, but keep the lamp of God always, continually, to every generation. They were commanded by God to keep the lamp going. But we see now it had so degraded to where the lamp of God went out. The people abhorred worship. Though they had the ark, but the lamp of God went out. You can look on down through. Chapter 3 is a wonderful time of God speaking to a young man. But the glory was being lost in Israel. Chapter 4 now, this is bringing to conclusion our long reading here, but in chapter 4, you're going to see the Philistines coming against the believers. In chapter 4, verse 4 now, we see the people went to Shiloh that they might bring from thence the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, which dwelleth between the cherubims. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas were there with the ark of the covenant of God. And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout so that the earth rang again. We're just about in a climax of the glory departing. But when the word came in, they still shouted. They still had a revival. They still had meetings. They were also happy about the word, but we're going to find out very quickly that same thing in the New Testament and even in our day has happened. The word can come. Revival can come. People can get all excited. They shout before the Lord in the very chapter we're going to see an utter failure, an utter embarrassment. It's not just good enough to have the ark or the word. There has to be the anointing of God with it. I found it very amazing in verse 8. You can see that when the Philistines heard this mighty shouting and roaring and, and all of these things, they said, woe unto us. Who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods? 
These are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong and quit yourselves like men, O you Philistines, that you be not servants unto the Hebrews. Can I say it like this? The devil was having a little work up with his crew to say, though they're shouting, they're all excited, but we're going to get them tonight. We're going to get them now after the meeting. Oh, they can shout and rejoice. But in these very chapters, we're going to see in verse 15, Eli was 90 and eight years old and his eyes were dim that he could not see. Oh, you could talk natural, but this is spiritual also. When your, de- when your eyesight becomes dim, when you lose that godly insight, then things begin to creep in and things begin to happen. I say, God, open our eyes tonight. But we find now things becoming so dim. And the men said unto Eli, I am he that came out of the army. And I fled today out of the army. And he said, what is there done, my son? And the messenger answered and said, Israel is fled before the Philistines. And there hath been also a great slaughter among the people. And thy two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. And the ark of God is taken. And it came to pass when he made mention of the ark of God that he fell down off the seat backward by the side of the gate and his neck broke, and he died for he was an old man and heavy and he had judged Israel 40 years. We've already read this, but you know the daughter of, of, of Phineas was great with child. And when they heard this, she travailed. In verse 21, she named the child Ichabod saying the glory is departed from Israel. Because the ark of God was taken and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, the glory is departed from Israel for the ark of God is taken. What a sad story. Do you agree that's a bad bad story? You say the glory of God is taken. The ark is gone. The word is gone. The ministry has been taken. The voices have been silenced and Satan's so happy. Because the glory of God had departed. Actually, this word Ichabod means no glory. No glory. No more glory. No more splendor. No more dignity. No more purity. The glory has departed means it's been uncovered. It's been removed. Something has gone into exile. It's uncovered themselves. Or something has been discovered and been disclosed. The nakedness has been shown. It's been laid bare. And this is the last part of this. They've been carried away into exile. Not just naturally, but spiritually. They become an outcast from the presence of God. Israel had lost its glory. What a sad thing. But I want to say the glory of God was already returning back. Samuel, though he was a a young child, was coming back. And I want to say that tonight. What it seems like Satan for a loss would try to come in and destroy the word in your life. Take away the effects of the ministry in your life. God is saying, I will restore, saith the Lord. Hallelujah. Tonight, the woman is the glory of the man. So the bride is the glory of our husband. So God's not going to leave you shambled and thrown to the side, but he's going to restore you back and bring oil and bring wine and restore the lamp of God. I think it ought to be 100% tonight, a desire to bring the oil, the Holy Ghost 
individually, in our families, into the church, into the bride. But it started out with a, a Hannah that had a burden. She had a desire. She wanted to see the glory of God. May God give us more Hannahs tonight. And questions and answers, Brother Branham talked to the believers in the service. It was in Jeffersonville. And he called them, my dear sainted brother, my dear sainted sister. Before the foundation of the world, when God created man in his image and created the woman in the image of the man for the glory of the man, he made you a theophany just like himself. I think we need to read that again. Before the foundation of the world, when God created man in his image, and created the woman in the image of the man for the glory of the man, he made you a theophany just like himself. And when he said, let us, this might answer a question. I know I've had it before. I'm sure Brother Tom has. Someone asked, who was the Bible speaking of when it said, let us? Brother Branham's answering the question. When he said, let us to the creatures that he had made, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, a theophany. God had never become flesh yet. He was a theophany. But you were there with him. Brother Branham said, Moses saw him and Moses cried, Lord, let me see you. He wanted to see his glory. He said, go yonder and hide in the rock in the cleft. And Moses got back in that cleft. And when God passed by and the lightnings and the thunders, when God passed by, he had his back turned like this. And Moses said it was the back of a man. And Brother Branham said, hallelujah. I don't know what excites you tonight, but you had a theophany before the foundation of the world. You have a word theophany body tonight that is calling for you. Brother Branham said, who was it? It was Melchizedek that come down the king of Salem with no father and no mother, no beginning of days or ending of life. That's him. That's the one who talked to Abraham that gathered up a little body of flesh. And Brother Branham blows and breathed into it and stepped into it and come down and eat a calf and drank milk from a cow and ate some butter and cornbread and two angels when he walked out there and all that stuff. And Brother Branham just blows like that and then he vanished and went away. He was in his theophany. Oh, I hear my theophany calling me tonight. Come up to my glory. Come up to this place. Let's go to Romans chapter 8 now together. It's about 8.40, so we've just got a few more minutes. Can you feed off the word a little bit? There's been a glory returned. It's not just your job and your schoolwork. It's not your vehicle. It's not the type of shoes you have on. It's the glory of God. It's the splendor of his character. And there has been a restoration of godly character for the believer to step into. Paul spoke about this in Romans 8, 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Amen. Hallelujah. Not just me, but in us. Amen. Let's read that again. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time. Can you take this for tonight? 
The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared or equaled with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I want to say tonight, this glory that shall be revealed is both present and future. Paul was saying, the sufferings of what we're going through cannot be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. It was the word present, but it was also what was coming. If you look up that word revealed, it means something has been revealed. It's been uncovered. Something that was veiled over, covered over. It was undisclosed, but now it's been made bare. It's been made open. It's been made manifest. It's something that was held and unknown. Now it's being manifested. Hello, bride of Christ. Sounds like the new birth to me. Sounds like the revealing of the word to a believer. The lights just come on. And the glory begins to come out. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory or the splendor or the dignity or the reputation which shall be revealed in us. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 4. I guess we could have put these on the screen. It would have maybe made the service go a little quicker. But I'm wanting you to see it's all through the scripture. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 13. Oh God, may this glory be revealed. From the youngest to the oldest. Let this revelation strike us, Lord. 1 Peter chapter 4, 13. We read from, Paul, from Paul's writings. Now this is Peter. 1 Peter 4, 13. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Hallelujah. He's, he's, he's paralleling the sufferings. Ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Why does it make us sad? Why do we get so burdened over when we go through sufferings? All of us many times were faced with that plague of affliction or that, that trouble. But here he's speaking about joy. He's speaking about the revealing. Just go to the next chapter, if you will, chapter 5. Verse 1, oh, Peter, Peter, you denied the Lord, but he saw the glory of God, and it changed his life. Look in chapter 5, verse 1, the elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. We're partakers, you are partakers of the glory that shall be revealed. That's both present in the opening of the word, but it's also speaking of the glory of God in the future. You know what, friends? Just in that little moment of time when we press into the new body and that glory of God comes in a robe, an adoption robe, and you're changed, all the sufferings we're going through is just going to seem like a pale memory the glory of, of a, a believer stepping into a new body. Oh, you say, that's going to make me happy. That's going to make God happy. They're one step closer. They're one step closer. We're going to have a thousand years of, of a millennium and a honeymoon. 
I know brother Nathan and sister Rachel are enjoying about two weeks of a honeymoon, but you get a thousand years of a honeymoon. They have to come back to work. They have to come back and slug it out. You and I aren't going back. We're going forward. Some of you look a little bit sad tonight. I think that ought to bring a little joy to your heart. There's been a return of our glory. Hallelujah. The glory of God has descended in the word of God and has revealed our future. You know, when you hear that word, it's already happened in the service. Sometimes during the preaching, someone will say, glory to God. Glory to God. What are you doing? You're putting splendor on God. You're saying, that is fantastic. And you, something's in the word and you say, glory to God. How can you say that? There's been a return of the glory. Hallelujah. Glory to God is an expression of praise to a higher power. It's something that comes over the believer that though you're suffering tonight and bearing a burden, it's you declaring, my God is great. My God is mighty. You might be digging down in the muck like a pond lily, but if you just look up and say, glory to God. What is that? That's you saying, my God is great. He's mighty. He's the king of glory. Let us exalt the name of our God tonight. But can I introduce to you his wife? The bride of Jesus Christ. The glory of the man is the woman. I know this is Wednesday night. This, this, This would be good for a Sunday message. The glory of God has come on you. You're married to Christ. You are his glory. Hallelujah. He's married to a queen. She is his glory. We are his glory. You might not feel like it. You might look around and say, like the prodigal son. The prodigal son got his glory back. Before he's ashamed, before he's embarrassed. Before he's he's with the pigs. But he got his glory back. In just a matter of moments, he's walking back and his father restored his robe, restored a ring on his finger, gave him back his sonship. He always was a son. But the glory of the individual is you stepping into your position, step into your role, step into faith. Hallelujah. I'm believing in the next few weeks, there's going to be some of you, the glory of God's going to come down on you. If the Lord tarries to winter camp, there's only about half of you that have even signed up. Tonight is the last night. By tomorrow, then it'll be grace, grace. I was thinking if I had a family, you say, well, we can't afford it or uh, we don't have the finances. I'd take out a loan. It might get really quiet right now, but there's spiritual things ahead for the believers. Sometimes you've got to make an investment or do something extraordinary. Maybe God will just see your mouth tonight and he'll see your heart. Say, I haven't signed up, Brother Michael, Sister Abigail, because I don't have finances. I don't have the money. Let God hear that. But you'd really like to go. 
Wow, for a person to lose their glory, what a sad thing. But for the glory to return, that's an amazing thing. Would you agree that the people of today have lost their glory that they used to have with God? Many churches have lost the glory of God in their midst. Many families have so grieved the Holy Spirit that he no longer dwells there. Individuals have lost the sensitivity towards spiritual things. Satan has stripped them. It's become to a place I was listening to the message Brother Bisco mentioned on Sunday, the invasion of the United States. It's a good message. And Brother Branham said it's an indebtedment. He's invaded the seminaries. He's invaded the churches. He's done stripped our women. He's got our men into a place that you can't tell them nothing. He's talking about men and women. What was he trying to do? Restore their glory. He talks about women acting in a certain way. Then he talked about men that would permit their wives to act in that way. He talks about preachers standing in the platform. In this modern pulpit he talked about and preached about little old things in the world besides repentance and sin and the old rugged cross of Christ. We still believe in repentance. We still believe in the old rugged cross. Pray God help us tonight even to turn the tide. I, I was listening to a testimony. Can I give a little testimony? Brother Danny Steeman gave a little testimony. I heard him this week as he lives down in Florida where it's a little warmer. But they have a lot of little sea turtles down there that they grow up in, they, they bury down into the sand. Then there are certain times of the year that there's instinct in them that comes out and they go toward the light of the moon. And they'll go toward the water. They'll go toward the ocean. But a civilization has come all around and the lights of the cities and the lights of the towns have gotten so strong on the opposite side of the ocean that many of these turtles are coming out and they're going toward the lights of the city. They're going toward the landscaping lights and toward the lights of the city. They're being turned around. And when the ocean is beckoning to them, they're actually going the opposite way because of the lights of the city are so strong. And he was talking about this certain year, 80% of the sea turtles died. Because though they were being birthed and coming up out of the sand, because of the false light and because of the lights of the city, they actually were going in the wrong direction. And I thought of believers and how the light and how the false light of the world can be so strong. You can have people in churches and they get so excited and so excited. And like we read in Samuel, within the very chapter, they're right back in defeat again. I'll say it's time for the light of the S-O-N to shine and reflect off the moon. Hallelujah. That's a type of the bride. You have a ministry. And the light of the moon would shine so great that those little turtles would come to birth and go to their destination. It's a wonder people are going right to the world today, right to the light of the world. It's because it's become so dark and yet so bright to allure them and allure them and they're dying. I pray God turn on the light. Cause the lamp to come back. Cause the ark to be restored. Samuel was coming up. Samuel was going to bring the return of the glory. Praise be to God. I think that's wonderful. And then when you have the tide that's coming in, 
The tide comes in and the tide comes in. But then there comes a time when the turning of the tide. And that has to do with things that go on in life and the water laps up and the water laps up and the water laps up and it goes up. But then it comes to a certain time, the same water and the same wind blow, but it doesn't go that far. It doesn't go that far. What is it? The tide is going back. And what it, right while I was in my study today, I thought about it's time for the turning of the tide. That's when the Holy Ghost calls for a change. There's a time the water comes in and in, and there's a time for it to go out. But then there's a time for a turning of the tide. That's for a call for a season of change. Same water, same ocean, the same area, but it's a different season, a different approach. It's a different action. Hallelujah. God's people, Satan has tried to strip away. Now I'm closing now. But Brother Brennan was talking about even his little girl. About She ain't even but two years old. This is in, he's talking about his little girl in Chicago. Can I just have a couple more minutes before I wind down here? His little girl, two years old, walked right in a room there and the other day out in the yard. And there was a woman out there mowing grass with a little old clothes on. Looks horrible. And the little two-year-old child come in and said, Daddy, that lady forgot her skirt. She's just mowing, this, this modern woman, mowing with her shorts on. And a two-year-old child said, Daddy, that lady forgot her skirt. And Brother Branham said, there you are. A baby knows better. But when men and women let their hearts become seared, who knows what seared is? Just seared like a hot iron. It's, Brother Brenham said it's demons, powers of the devil. There never was one but one thing in all the ages that would strip men, that was, that was devils, strip women, men and women. It's, it looks like a bunch of prehistoric animals laying stripped out there with no conscience. The Bible said they'd have their conscience seared with a hot iron. And them same people, Brother Branham said, I'm speaking of in particular that I know of sings in choirs. Oh my, he said, they got fellowship with their group. Fellowship, he said, he goes on to talk. I know that strong brother, sister, but God help us. If the Pentecostal church don't get back to the blood of Christ again, you're gone. He, that's right, get back. It used to be a sin a long ago for our Pentecostal people to act like that. They didn't do it long ago, but they do it now. Oh my, and he talks about that. Things have become loose. This isn't a time to let things loosen up. This is a time to tighten up a little bit. And I believe the pulpit ought to have the freedom to be able to say these things. And it might shake us sometimes and make us feel uneasy. But it's good for us. It's God declaring it's time for the glory to come back again. I was thinking today of Samson and how he lost his glory. He lost his glory because Satan stripped him because of a woman. But in that time, his hair started to grow back again. It was in that time when Satan thought he had him, about to destroy him. His hair was growing back again. Oh, you say he was out of his place. He was not doing what he should be called to do. But all the time, his hair was growing back. All the time you've been suffering, your hair has been growing back. 
All the time you thought things were out of order and headed for defeat, God was planning for a return and a restoration. Hallelujah. Brother Branham said, stripped by a woman, what must have gone through that man's mind as he stood there? He said, I hope the church gets that much. Which is more to you, a million or a better blessing of God in your soul. He's talking about how people speak about millions and millions of dollars. He said, what is more to you, a million more or a million more members? Or a deeper blessing of God in your soul? Can I ask that question tonight? Do we want a million more and this year and just more numbers? Or do we want a greater blessing? I say, God, give us a greater blessing. Maybe our musicians will come. God spoke to us in the message about parenthood. He spoke to us about motherhood and virtues. I have some of it right here. He talked about the backbone of the nation being motherhood. You broke motherhood and you broke the nation. Our nations are broke. The nations of our world are broke. And right in that time of crisis, God is bringing bride, family, individuals to where their backs are not broken, but they're being strengthened. They're being renewed. God's not raising up a bunch of Eli's. Though they might speak to their young people and say, that's wrong, you shouldn't do that. But the Bible says he restrained them not. I think it's time that God give discernment to fathers and mothers to speak those things that are right in the right season so it brings the right response. That's what we want is the right response. Hallelujah, Lord, anoint us, Father. He said with real parenthood. We talked about that, how uh, it's a shame how the enemy has taken our American women and stripped them down in the streets. Little boys and little girls, no wonder what a shape they are today. And he talked about Hollywood and things. And all the little girls in the country will pattern after that. What a pity. It's too bad, but it's gotten to the church. But the beautiful virtue that God gives to a woman to be a mother has been marred. And the backbone of the nation, you break motherhood and you broke the nation right there. That's one thing that helps hold it together is real, genuine parenthood. God bless our families. God bless our church. God bless our individuals to give us a strong backbone. Let the glory return back, Lord Jesus, as we stand on our feet tonight. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Do you know that song 1061? Brother Joseph, he's got it all in control. Do we know that song? Who knows that song? God's got it all in control. You know that song? He's got it all in control.
it's amazing what 24 hours are due. Even just since yesterday, we came up to the office and was here just till the afternoon. You couldn't hardly drive on this street right here. The, the snow was so high on this side street. And then tonight we're able to come to service and the roads are, a lot of them are clear and even some in Canada are dry. That's amazing. Just in 24 hours, just in a few hours, some of us get our lives so bent down and looking at things in a certain way and just in the passing of a little time, God changes everything. Make sure your heart is stayed on the word and on the mind of Christ. Because we can get so bent in a certain way, and that's so bad, that's so horrible. I just feel like going and crawling into a shell, and within just 24 hours, it's bright again. The sun is shining. Can it be that way spiritually? I want to close with this. Isaiah had a certain confession. He said, oh, he said, woe is me, and I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. And he, he's going on like that. And that can be sometimes how we look in, at the mountain. It's so bad, and I'm so bad, and look at everybody around me. But when he saw the king face to face, when the seraphim touched his life, it brought a change. And if you look at it in the Bible, it's just a few verses. On one side, he's saying, it's so bad, it's so horrible. And the next few verses, when he heard the voice of the Lord speaking, after he had been purged, after he had been dealt with, he said, here am I, send me. Just in a matter of a few minutes, God could, the glory of God could drop down on a person. Can that be you? Can that be me? Satan coming in to rape you, take your mind, take your spirit, to destroy you. And just in a matter of a few minutes, God sent another breath by your way. And it's like you're looking at it totally opposite. On one side, you say, wow, very few is going to make it. One out of here, and, one, and the next one that comes by, it's like, how can you miss it? I wonder tonight if the Lord just wants to let you look down a few more verses. Don't just stop there and say, you know what, that's right. Woe is me and woe is everybody around me. No, let the Lord just touch your life. As we just bow our heads, let the Lord just touch your life through the week. And then your whole confession is different. Your whole outlook, you're looking at the same situation, totally different. And the Lord begins to speak and said, who can I send? Who can I send out into this situation? And your heart is saying, here am I, Lord. I see it now. You've opened my eyes. I wonder tonight with every head bowed if the Lord's been moving in front of you and trying to show you things. Maybe we haven't responded. Our attention hasn't been the way it ought to be. It just needs our eyes to come open just like the little child in the store. And then we can say, then we can begin to move. Then we can begin to say, yes, Lord, I see that. God can use you. Yes. Would that be you tonight? Would you make yourself available again? 
tonight and this week, even if we come into winter camp, the Lord's preparing all the staffing and the counselors and those that will be coming, the fathers and mothers, the grandparents, everyone. He's setting our hearts right, just right. Let his glory come down upon you. Maybe it's in your home. Maybe it's in a situation. And you like to say, Lord, I need that touch. I need that. Somebody need a healing right now? It just takes the breath of that angel. Somebody need a deliverance, or you just like to claim a deliverance for a loved one. Be like a Hannah. Be burdened for something. Lord, I want to see that in my life. I want to see that. And, and before you knew it, a whole nation had a revival because of a burdened sister. Heavenly Father, thank you for Wednesday night services. So many gathered in this slippery cold night. I pray you'd bless them on the way home. But before we leave here, would you remember us, Father? You see our hearts. You see our lips. You see our hands raised. Lord, remember us tonight. And may the Holy Ghost that gave us this desire, that gave us this burden, that gave us this holy thirst, that is dealing with your sons and your daughters, and will continue to do so, Lord. The strain of the hour, Satan on all fronts coming against your people. But there is a return of your glory. You have come back again, just like you said. You're moving our hearts into that direction. We pray that you'd restore all things and bring your Alexei to this, Lord. One out of here, one out of there, one out of this place. And keep us true, Lord. Keep us faithful. Even as we sang this song, we put our life into your hands. Go with us tonight, Jesus. And as we prepare, if you give us another weekend and the ministry as they prepare, the lamp to keep burning, the oil to be strong, our eyes to be wide alert, our hearts to be willing. Through the week, Lord, let us apply these things. Let us move it down into where we're living and apply the token daily in our homes. We love you, Lord Jesus. We pray again for Sister Louise Woods, Father, that you would restore her, Father. She's given to so many in our assembly. We bless her tonight and our brother Norm Wood. They've given to us, Lord. We are a product of your glory. We have seen your glory in their family. May you restore back to them, Lord. Also, our brother Tim Dodd, Lord, may you be with him and comfort his heart tonight, Jesus. On the mission field, would you strengthen him? Give him the mind of Christ. And be with Sister Sarah, and Brother Gideon, Sister Esther and his family at home. Be with our assembly, Lord. We're getting a about ready to go out into a night where wild dogs, Satan, wanting to destroy us. But may the Holy Ghost stand there as a testimony. Because there's been a little prayer meeting here tonight. And the glory of God is on your people. Go with us now. Strengthen us. In Jesus Christ's name.